0: Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness podcast series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of the book, Cybersecurity Readiness, A Holistic and High-Performance Approach, a Sage Publication. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars and workshops, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with Chief Information Security Officers. Dr. Chatterjee is Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia. As a Duke University visiting scholar, Dr. Chatterjee has taught in the Master of Engineering in Cybersecurity Program at the Pratt School of Engineering.
1: Hello everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Our discussion today will revolve around securely migrating to the cloud. Our guest speaker, Keith Weller, is the Chief Information Security Officer at International Market Centers. He has had some great experience leading American Cancer Societies, his previous employer, Cloud Migration Initiative. I've had the pleasure of knowing Keith for a while. He has been a guest speaker in my professional MBA class He talked about this cloud migration initiative in my class, and I felt that this was a best practice that could benefit the wider professional community. So I'm delighted that Keith is going to be spending some time on the show today talking about this initiative. Keith, welcome. Before we get into the details, please share some highlights of your professional journey.
2: Thanks, Dave. I'm really happy to be here. So, yeah, over the past 20 years, I've I've had experience in security and infrastructure, primarily in the fintech, nonprofit, and now currently real estate retail sectors. The last three years, I've I've been focusing mainly on security and cloud. In previous roles, I have built out offshore BPO and and an internal SOC capabilities for fintech, uh, which was one of the Forbes fastest growing companies list for Over five years straight, I developed the infrastructure and security for a leading edge SaaS platforms for the financial and health services customers. In my ACS role, I consolidated, cost optimized, and made highly available infrastructure for what was a segmented American Cancer Society nonprofit that unified organizationally for the first time in 100 years. With that, I saved over $20 per year. And one of the big projects, which I'll be talking about, was migrating a 5,000-square-foot donation processing on-premise data center to the cloud in eight weeks. As part of that, I helped mature the speed of business capabilities and our security posture. In the past year, I've been with the International Market Center, where I greatly improved the security posture, including... Security oversight for launch of a global buyer seller e commerce marketplace.
1: Fantastic. In fact, listeners might be interested in hearing about some of these stats that I've gleaned from the Flexera State of the Cloud report. It's the latest report. The data was collected in late 2021. There were 753 respondents. The organizations range from once with 100 employees, right up to once with 10,000 plus employees. So they had a pretty broad cross-section of organizations. The respondents were global cloud decision makers and users. So it's a very comprehensive and well-done report. They publish it every year, and I follow it religiously. A couple of things I wanted to highlight here, just to... Further contextualize our discussion, especially the significance of the discussion. First, the fact that cloud adoption continues to become more mainstream. Second, heavy users, that is, those who are running more than 25% of the workload in the cloud, are up to 63%, an increase from 59% in 2021. Also, another interesting finding is that more than half of the respondents are planning to move at least some of their sensitive data to the cloud. And when it comes to cloud challenges, security continues to be the number one challenge for the last 10 years. So therefore, to have somebody like Keith talk to us about cloud migration, of migrating to the cloud, and how to do it securely is a terrific opportunity. So Keith, coming back to you, provide listeners with a context as to what led American Cancer Society to consider moving to the cloud.
2: Yeah, so before this major migration, we were already in Azure for about three years, but it was not a significant portion of of our business processes. We did migrate to Office 365 for our email moving off the of Lotus Notes previously as well. But the big driver for this was a lot of this happened during the COVID-19 pandemic. American Cancer Society is, is very dependent or was at the time very dependent on in-person events. And because of that, we were looking at a $200 million per year revenue shortfall. Wow so across the organization we had to find ways to either make up that money through additional revenue opportunities or reduce costs and at the time we had an on-premise data center that was in locally in our our headquarters in downtown atlanta and it was very cost not just the data center that we had but also the real estate that we were in was very costly so in order to vacate that real estate, we also had to vacate the data center. By doing that, it would save us about six hundred thousand per month for lease costs and a data center reduction of one hundred and sixty-two k. Additionally, we were the previous year we did a digital transformation where we moved a lot of our CRM and ERP to SaaS-based solutions. But we wanted to make sure that we kind of had that. space speed of execution that cloud provided there were a lot of opportunities to overall increase and i feel being in the cloud actually makes it a lot easier to govern your security and have better visibility of your assets and and make quicker security improvements so that was another big factor of that and it also allowed us to better enable disaster recovery because this was a the systems that we had was for primarily for donation processing. So we need a really rock solid system. So it allowed us to improve our disaster recovery and availability and things like that. So those are kind of the big drivers for that project.
1: That was quite an undertaking. And again, based on our discussion that we were having to plan this podcast, you mentioned that you'll had to get it done in about three months. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. We were trying to make quick decisions and and find quick ways to reduce costs. Basically, I got a call one day from our head of real estate. I wasn't really super knowledgeable with technology and basically asked, how can you get out of the data center by the end of the month? And I said, well, that's definitely challenging. I, I did take some videos and pictures just to maybe give a conceptual idea of what was in there because it was, 5,000 square foot data centers. There, there was a significant amount of work to vacate that. But so we did have a an aggressive timeline. At first I, I thought, hey, this is a good challenge. I think we can do this. I think this could help the organization if we can do it quickly. So I, I said, let, let me get back to you and let's see what we can do. The, the other part of that was that this was a business critical system that was responsible for our donation processing at a time where our revenue was down. So we could not afford any other kind of hiccups in our downtime. It was a PCI DSS regulated environment. So there was a lot of security links to that where we had to make sure where we were going was set up very well from a security perspective and had good security foundations. Uh, We actually, before that, we didn't have a really good data and application inventory. So we had to work on kind of rationalizing that environment to, as you, as if you just move, throw everything in the cloud, it can get quite expensive. So the more we could kind of reduce that footprint, the better. So we, we, we needed to make sure we were very clear on how our, our data and our applications worked. So when we moved up there, that things continue to flow and the just getting out of that on-premise data center was probably the most complex effort IT related effort ever undertaken and it was the most difficult part of actually exiting that that real estate so it was it was a big challenge but we i met with the team and i i said and i came up with 3 months and i said why can't we do 3 months and we basically talked through <clears throat> all the blockers and the options and and we determined that if we did on all hands on deck we could accomplish that. It was a challenge for everyone but we 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 knew it was important and we basically stack ranked our options and we tried to quantify with the best approach so that that actually helped us think through all the challenges and potential timelines and uh, yeah we actually ended up accomplishing the mission and and doing it on time and under under budget.
1: Incredible. Incredible. As you share this experience, it brings back memories of a few other very successful technology-driven business transformations, which were done on time and under budget. One commonality across these transformation best practices is that they were all motivated by a critical business need. In this particular case, as you mentioned, Keith, Loss of revenue was the primary driver, and that got everybody involved and engaged. So there was an organization-wide buy-in. Also, when you say that it was an all-hands-on-deck kind of an operation, and I'm thinking about some of the details that you shared with me earlier, it's very encouraging that the team comprised of not only the technology people, but also the business people. So there was cross-functional involvement, which is exactly how any kind of technology-driven change must be managed. And so this is so good to hear. Thanks for sharing. Is there anything else that you would like to share by way of highlights when you all were planning the migration and then implementing it?
2: Yeah, so I would definitely agree agree that, that buy-in is is key. If you're trying to do a very challenging, time-constrained work, having everyone engaged and bought into the process and having a clear vision of the goals across it, the whole team is really important. So for sure, when, when we did this project, everyone was bought in. I was the project sponsor as well as tech lead so i was responsible for bringing together all these cross functional teams it included all of I, all key members of it included security quality assurance the supply chain legal then we had people from the business that had to do the testing we had to coordinate with them we had to make sure certain things were done during certain accounting periods of the month so that things wouldn't be affected so that was really important Additionally, we we engage with a, a migration vendor because it was obviously a pretty big task. We didn't want to kind of learn along the way. In eight weeks, it, it wouldn't work. So we engage with them. And it as a kind of a combined partner with ACS, we had a combined team. And we just had to keep focused, not get distracted. And so we were using Microsoft Azure for about three years. A lot of people were were familiar with it, but there were also new people in IT that were kind of learning it. And we didn't want them to be kind of like asking a bunch of questions that weren't like aligned with kind of the mission, right? We wanted to just keep focused, not get distracted. And a lot of times there's decisions that come along the way and, and you, you want to, try to make those decisions quick, so it doesn't sort of slow down the process. And uh, we try to go with as much as best practice. And if there was some discrepancy of using best practice, it's like, why shouldn't we use it? So it kept us a little focused, a better focus that way. And that really helped us. We, We tried to make sure that security was ingrained in every step of the process. Again, it was a PCI environment, and generally, I, as a security professional, I want to make sure that's a foundation of anything we do. We had our IT architects that were responsible for helping provide the scope. of. A, we had a hybrid environment and making sure all the documentation was available, and just having kind of that, again, that all-hands-on-deck Mentality, let's get this done. Let's be focused. We had the help of the, the project management team to keep us laser focused as well and making sure that we're properly communicating with the business partners. Sometimes when you're doing a project this complex, you don't want to miss some communication and then people are expecting something, and then some some form of the business comes comes to a stop, especially when revenue generation is so important. So, yeah, it was it was I was actually very proud of the the whole experience just because we we worked all together as a team to just get get important things done and it really helped from a financial standpoint.
1: Yeah, that's quite phenomenal. Quite phenomenal. Talking about the security aspect of the migration. You mentioned following the NIST cybersecurity framework and complying with the PCI DSS requirements. During our planning meeting, you shared some of the accomplishments under the categories of identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Would you like to provide listeners with certain specifics, like what they should be mindful of when they have to undertake such an initiative?
2: Yeah, so I, I think the the key thing here is is making sure that your asset, your application is fully documented. Your data flows are fully documented. That you you want to make sure, especially when you're moving and and we did a sort of a lift and shift to the cloud, that you do not have you're not properly securing various aspects of that data flow. So to make sure that the proper foundations are in place when we move move those applications and data to the cloud, that, that's a key thing with, and, and a lot of that is working with the architecture, application architecture team, working with the security team. You know, it being a PCI DSS regulated environment, we definitely worked very closely with my, our migration partner to make sure that we had the right blueprints in place and the foundations in place there there's actually pci dss blueprints that, that we use to make sure the foundation was right and uh, you also make sure that all your kind of your security configurations are correct in the firewall and and uh, the network security groups and things like that we did do a external pen test Afterwards, just to make sure that we didn't kind of uh, miss some key security controls, because again, it it was a very important, highly secure environment.
1: Yep. That makes a lot of sense. In fact, you mentioned about this migration vendor. I'm sure listeners might be curious that how do you go about identifying such a vendor and what what factors goes into the selection process and how valuable did you find their service?
2: Yeah, so it sort of starts with the the actual, I guess from the the start, we we started with a concept, how quickly can we get out of the data center? So we, we did explore four different options. One was a virtual lift and shift to Azure, which was our existing cloud partner at the time. Another was we, we had a co-location facility in Austin, Texas. We were looking to potentially migrate there. And then we were looking at a, a physical and virtual lift and shift to new equipment in Atlanta. And based on all those and kind of our quantitative approach to comparing the options, we we definitely decided that moving to Azure was the the, the, the quickest and most likely cost conscious lowest risk and a lot. It also obviously as being in the cloud allows you to be more quick to innovation and things like that. So we started with that and then in, since it was a nonprofit, we had a Microsoft partner with Microsoft uh, that works with nonprofit and government and things like that. And they, they actually recommended a few migration partners and we, we ended up going with one that was very experienced with this and they actually have, they, I I think they actually created the, the actual migration tool that Microsoft uses for a lot of these initiatives. So they definitely seemed like the right fit for us. We were, we were lucky as a nonprofit, we were able to find some funding to make the, the cost of migration significantly less, which obviously that helped with the, the other part of the financial discussion. So yeah, that, and they, they did really well. They were very methodical. You could tell that they've done this many times before and they they like i said they helped keep us on track they 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 did these rapid pace migrations so it it helped having that experience they were very technical too so there was really no period where we felt like we were kind of stuck or kind of couldn't get past a hurdle because they really had a lot of good answers because of that experience
1: that's good to know and this is very useful information for folks who are planning such a migration For this particular migration initiative, you all decided to go with Microsoft Azure. I assume that is because American Cancer Society was heavily invested in the Microsoft platform and it made logical sense to stay with the same ecosystem to reduce application dependency related challenges. Is that what your advice will be? For organizations looking to identify a suitable cloud service provider, how should they go about the cloud vendor selection process?
2: I think it depends on the organization. For for us, to be honest, as a nonprofit, Microsoft gave us very significant funding for this project. In my view, there there is some. The, since we already had 0365 as well, we were already using their identity and access management solution. So there was sort of a tie in there. It, and again, since we already had that footprint, we had eight weeks. Obviously, Google and Amazon have great, great products. But if, if you're trying to do this at a rapid pace, it's there's a lot less barriers if you're using an existing vendor where you already have sort of that core foundation in place, you already have that relationship in place. But I think it's important for organizations to not be stuck on one vendor and, and kind of look at it on a case by case basis, what makes the most sense for them as a business. And again, you you know, we did a lot of cost analysis and for sure, in this case, the Microsoft Azure was the was the best option. And there is a lot, uh, the other thing is we already had some in, in-house in experience with it. So that also kind of reduced some of the barriers. So yeah, I think it, it really is sort of a case by case with, what fits with that specific business needs. There's a lot of great options out there. So, yeah, I would always be open to looking at what fits the best
1: for you. Makes sense. Makes sense. Maybe in this context, I'll again share with listeners some findings from the Flexera State of the Cloud report. The top four cloud migration challenges are, number one, understanding application dependencies, number two, assessing technological feasibility, number three, assessing on-premise versus cloud costs, and number four, selecting the right cloud provider. And in fact, Keith kind of t- touched upon some of these. And when he talks about going with their existing cloud providers because they've had good experiences, that hopefully took away one of those challenges. Keith, what are your thoughts of these challenges that I gleaned from the state of the cloud report? Do you agree with them? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the the application dependency is, is key to having a successful Understanding that application dependency is the key to having a successful migration. For us, it we did so we we didn't refactor anything because of the timelines, but we we did a, a lift and shift. So it was basically virtual machine to virtual machine. So that did help a bit. But there were scenarios when, when we did that migration up where as much as we try to document things ahead of time, and, and you you know how it is, you, you can have a data center and it's around for years and then there's certain things that maybe something's not captured and and I think one and, and as part of the testing there was there was some functionality that wasn't working and it was just because there was some application talking to another application and it wasn't documented and we didn't have the right firewall rules to allow that communication so I would say overall it's just obviously good practice to have that documented and in a real time and keep that for just general good practice. The the other things were, you know, like I said I already talked about the the decision
1: on the on the, the cloud vendor. Sorry, what were the other what were the other uh, two? Uh, sure, sure. The the first one was understanding application dependencies. The second one was assessing tech feasibility the third one was assessing on-premise versus cloud costs yeah
2: so so we again we already kind of
1: had experience with azure
2: we knew a lot of the uh, capabilities that were there we weren't necessarily taking advantage of all of them but we we did like the future capabilities that we could add like i said we did do a sort of lift and shift but the, as the, the next phase was kind of a refactoring and simplifying and lo- lowering the cost of our presence. I, one thing about the kind of comparison of, of cost is a lot of times, sometimes people throw in the soft costs, and, and I, it's not a direct factor from a financial perspective, but it is important to be very clear. On um, what your costs are. I mean, it took us about just maybe three weeks just to firm up that kind of cost cost comparison and and making sure we itemize each one. It, it w- in our case it was a little easier because we knew we were just eliminating that data center. We were moving out of the facility, so we we were able to like save on internet costs and various things like that. So it, it did make it a lot easier. The it can get quite expensive to be in the cloud if you don't manage it well, right? So if, if you're not have good visibility on your costs, uh, you're not using things like microservices or uh, partial compute, you over-allocate over, over allocate compute and things like that. It, it can be quite costly versus on-prem, but I think if you, you have good visibility into those cost factors, it and in my experience, it's it's generally cheaper. From a security perspective, it's it's easier to manage and cheaper because you kind of have a visibility of all your assets. Where sometimes in the on-prem world, you can kind of get this sprawl of of, of systems, and it's just kind of hard to track it all and and make sure you don't have that security technical debt. That happens a lot, so. It definitely saved a lot of time from an engineer support perspective, which I think over time allowed ACS to not have as much staff dedicated to the kind of caring, care and feeding of systems. And it allowed them to do kind of more transformative work and help to grow the business and things like that.
1: Awesome. In fact, I wanted to reemphasize what you just shared. Shared or you highlighted the importance of managing the cloud. When I talk about cloud in the classroom, I associate cloud as a reflection of the technology outsourcing phenomenon. And when you outsource something, though cost is often the driver, but in my humble opinion, you outsource something to a service provider because they are better at it than your organization is or wants to be because your organization has a mission that the reason they were formed and that's what they need to focus on. So if somebody else can better manage the tech, let them do it. But having said that, it's also important to recognize that you still have to provide oversight. It's not like out of sight, out of mind. You have, still have to stay on top of security, top of cloud spend. And this is where, I, Keith, I wanted your thoughts. So when I look at these Uh, breaches happening, like the Capital One data was breached. They were residing on the Amazon web server. Obviously, Capital One is still responsible for their data. Amazon is providing them the server, providing them with the details on how to secure it. But I am of the opinion that maybe the, the SLAs should be written up in a manner and a fashion whereby there should be more joint responsibility and joint accountability whereby the host the service provider and the client work as a team to ensure the data is safe secure and there is a constant review to make sure the security level and posture is being maintained what are your thoughts
2: yeah I mean that that would be fantastic I mean as it as it is now the 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 core responsibility of securing your data is on the actual owner of the data. So, I guess I guess the one. So you said a good few good things, and I'll, I'll get back to that. Like the one good thing is, as a business, you want to focus on your core things that you're good at. ACS they're not a IT company. Right. They're they're so spending a lot of time patching servers and and various. Care and feeding of of data centers was not where we wanted to be, but it, it would be nice if the three big cloud providers were more engaged in kind of as a team securing that data and, and helping make sure that they partner with their customers to make sure that's being done right. They do provide a lot of great tools for. I've, I've been using the this, the seam Microsoft Azure you know it's and it's it's a great tool but of course it, it's very dependent on configuring it right and uh, making sure you, you have the right logs that you're ingesting and then you have the right rules and playbooks and things like that so it's uh, but it's it, there again it's a lot of dependency on the customer to to either do that themselves or work with a partner to help with that So I, I think that would be fantastic if the cloud providers were a little more engaged in that.
1: I would be totally for that. Good to hear that. Good to hear that. So we are kind of coming to the close of our discussion. So I wanted to check off a few things. You may have mentioned this, Keith, but I wanted to maybe highlight it again. One of the success factors of this initiative that we are talking about was also the very meticulous phased migration effort. You described the details in your slide deck, Keith, and I'm gonna read off some of the the phases. The first phase involved assessing Azure. The second phase was assessment of readiness. The third phase entailed creating a landing zone. And the final phase involved the actual migration plus having a good disaster recovery in place. Would you like to, and I know there's a lot of detail, we may not have time for all the details, anything in particular that you want to touch upon in the context of this phased migration effort?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, just generally in technology, having the right foundations in place sets you up for success later on, right? So part of of that is the, the actual assessment of your environment and what the architecture will be and making sure that you have the right standards and controls in place initially. Because if you try to do that later, then it's, it becomes a more challenging effort. What's nice about these all hands on deck type efforts is you get everyone engaged up front to make sure that they're all aligned with that kind of a foundation. And sometimes if you do that, a year or two later it's already sprawled you already have parts of your data that you don't have visibility into and various you don't have certain policies applied to certain things so i and and again i think since we had experience in azure but we weren't like experts in it that's why it was it was good to have that partner to help make sure that's in place and then as part of the kind of the readiness is, is making sure that the team from your company is, is able to support it. So, and and it's, it's important for them to kind of have good understanding up front. So as we're going through the project, it moves quick, more quickly with informed people. And then, so we did have a lot of, we had significant training that was done from just first with Azure 101 and then Azure governance and Azure security, because we we want to make sure we put those foundations in place, but we want to make sure we kept with them and we kept kept that governance and kept that security mindset and the understanding that we, again, we are responsible for the security of our data. Microsoft kind of like in and, and the other cloud providers kind of like let you go with that. It's up to you to, to manage that, so it was important for everybody in the team, and, and it's not just the infrastructure people, it's not just security people, but it's also important for development and QA to understand those those kind of core principles of security. So all of those people are engaged to make sure that uh, it was it was built into sort of our DNA, I guess. And then having, having a well-defined landing zone was important, too, because if you don't have uh, your resources, some of it's just tagging and naming and stuff like that. If, if you don't name those or tag them and you kind of just put them all over the place, it, may, it actually makes it harder to manage the costs and things because you, you're not really clear what, what, what this resource is for. And it just makes it harder for you to, to manage that. And then the, the the landing zone had kind of the kind of lockdown networking, IAM structures and role-based access controls and the the Azure blueprints and things like that. A lot of people just think about the migration phase, but the, those, those first three phases, I think, are core for long-term success. And then there's the migration phase, which in our case also included giving DR, fully functioning DR, which it becomes much easier to enable when you're in the cloud. And there's a lot of CISOs that try to do, implement DR on-prem and it, sometimes it just drags out and it's like knowing the environment and things like that. But especially as part of the migration, it actually set us up for DR because the migration configuration was associated to the DR failover. So it helped a lot with that. And... If you're doing it yourself or if you're doing it with a partner, again, it's it's the migration. It's very important to kind of have steps planned out. Well, you're on the same page with things. You're you're engaged with the business because there will be some downtime. You're engaged with them as well to make sure that the testing is done. And in our case, we, we wanted to make sure we had enough testing during the migration because we were shutting down The servers at the end of it, and if we miss something, there's kind of no going back. So the the testing was pretty important for us too. So yeah, I mean it was it was you know a great project, and I was very happy that we were able to kind of work together and, and kind of use that phase approach, a methodical phase approach because it it allowed us to stay focused.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, as you were talking about testing, I'm looking at the timeline where you mentioned about doing testing right from week two, right till the very end, right right till week eight. So constant testing is a huge best practice, I would say. And once again, we don't have enough time to go into all the security best practices details that you all were able to accomplish, but basically complying with the NIST framework, complying with the PCI DSS framework, those are all great accomplishments. And at at a higher level, bottom line, as you said earlier, you all were able to complete the implementation in eight weeks on time under budget and help the organization realize a savings of $18 million in real estate and $2 million in technology costs projected over three years. That's phenomenal. Working for an organization like American Cancer Society that does so much good, much needed. I think it's... It's indeed a noble cause, and I want to recognize you and your team for doing such great work, which indirectly has helped the global population. Because you want an organization like ACS, American Cancer Society, to survive and thrive. And these initiatives are essential to allow the organizational engine to be running and be running efficiently and effectively for the long run. So keep the... I'd like to give you the final opportunity to say a few final words with before we close our discussion for today.
2: Yeah, thank you again for allowing me to share the journey on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I just just with American Cancer Society, every dollar that's spent on operational costs is a dollar taken away from cancer research or or services. So, it whenever you can do something like this and help help. The organization survive. It's rewarding, and uh, it just it just helps with the overall goal of of eliminating cancer as a disease worldwide. So, yeah, I mean, I'll just I guess close with a few things. Again, just any any rapid pace project, including cloud migration, requires kind of that all hands on deck, cross functional teams working together, clearly defined roles and what's success and and when that happens like really hard things can get done like things that you don't think and just sort of reiterating knowing your application dependencies is really important and the data flows it helps minimize downtime when you're doing this migration and even performance issues another thing that i want just to close out that with this this rapid pace migration sometimes you don't want to over test right so you want to make sure you test the core functionalities and data flows first and then if you can worry about some of the smaller or less important test cases later Well, that's one thing that we kind of learned in this project that we were trying to like be so thorough in our testing that we started to fall behind in our schedule but what we did was we, we refocused and we focused on those core tests. And then we did the other testing later once the actual workloads were uploaded. So that was probably one of the, the biggest takeaways that I got from that. And then lastly, just from a security perspective, if you can't really protect your, your environment if you don't have good visibility of it. So one of the one of the big things that was helpful from a security perspective was adding a, a seam tool. I would just say, and one thing I learned from this is it can get very complex to set this up and make sure the use cases and the playbooks are set up. So if, if you are a small security shop or a small IT shop, then maybe consider utilizing a partner for that. So, yeah. But hopefully, hopefully that was helpful in sharing some of my experiences and it was it was really enjoyable to talk about it.
1: It was extremely helpful. I'm sure the listeners will find great value in all your recommendations, sharing your experiences with this cloud migration, much needed discussion. So thank you again, Keith, for your time and I look forward to future discussions with you. For sure, thank you, Dave. A special thanks to Keith Weller for his time and insights. If you like what you heard, please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also, subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.
0: The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.